let's be ambitious, let's be visionary, let's get back. We had we have very revolutionary roots. I mean, our pioneers, our forefathers in the movement, they have been outcasts, they have been called everything you can imagine. Uh, that spirit we need to uh, conserve a little bit and, and maybe regenerate this revolution spirit because we need an agrarian revolution to make the turnaround. It's time, biodiversity, loss, climate, everything, the tipping points. It's not a question whether we want it, it's just a question how do we do it? How do we do it? By sh uh, shaping coalitions, uniting the movement, uniting and liaising with unions, with consumers foremost, with the uh, gastronomic sector, with all the people that have a stake in food, which is actually everybody. <laughs> we all have a stake in food. <laughs>being fed organically and and I thought I don't think that that was good organic agriculture you know just because it was chemical free doesn't mean it's good organic could you speak to that again just to tease oh, that yeah. out a this little oh yeah this has been with me all my life i'm since soon 50 years in the organic movement i hope i don't look so old but i'm almost <laughs> i started very young you have to start very young then you you're not new i'm almost 50 years in the movement and this has been with me from the very beginning the accusation that we have an agricultural method that goes back to the grandfathers or if they were really mean they said oh back to the mountains uh, to the monkeys on the, on the trees huh? that is so backward this organic thing i talked with my grandfather who was a poor small farmer with two cows which had to pull and the animal traction so he had very little milk to yield uh, yield and he he learned and watched what we are doing and what organic means and has been with me on organic farms as an old man and he said Bernward I wish we would have had all this knowledge then I could have been an organic farmer he knew he was not an organic farmer he couldn't treat these animals well they had to work too hard. He had not good food and enough food for them because they were so poor and had no land. And uh, he, he didn't do the right thing with the manure, just leaving it outside, not really composting and and and, and so on. Uh, crop rotation, bringing leguminous in it. That was all not known in, in the time. he f And he had to pick up the farm. His father died. He was 12. He had to, to be the farmer as the oldest son with uh, five siblings uh, uh, after him. And, uh, and, and that learned me very early that it's completely wrong uh, to, to put organic in, in, on the same level of the old method. And to say, oh, in the old times they have all been organic farmers. No, they have not used chemicals. 
but that makes them not an organic farm, for sure not. There is so much more. Chemical is important, but look, the foundation of organic, it was Rudolf Steiner, the early, early pioneers. The chemical issue was not there, or hardly, really marginal. It was about leaving the system of closed cycles and leaving that what makes the, the principle organic, building soil fertility on organic matter. And that's how we became the organic movement because they realized something goes completely wrong. Amazing how early they realized it. Uh, separating animal production from, from crops and, 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 and all that happened, uh, let's say, a hundred years ago to, to, to start evolving. And they said, stop, that's wrong. And, and so Albert Howard going to India, we, we know that story. He realized, hey, we have to learn from them. I'm, not, I'm wrong here trying to teach them our way of wrong agriculture. So yes, uh, it's... Um, it's important and, and we should also in the arguments and in our marketing, uh, we, 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 we're doing a careful thing here that we built so much the motivation for the consumers to go organic on, the, on their pesticide scare. It's the wrong strategy to scare people to organic. The right strategy is to attract them to organic, first of all, with taste, with quality, with freshness and with all the arguments that come along protecting biodiversity, uh, protecting soils or regenerating soils, uh, being fair to farmers, keeping farmers on farms in their livelihoods that we have not only corporate farming uh, where we are moving towards. So if I, I always say I have at least 10 very solid reasons to be organic. Pesticide is only one of them. And for me, it's not high. I'm not also genetic engineering. Of course, I oppose genetic engineering utmost, <laughs> but I'm not scared to become a Frankenstein zombie. That is not my, my concern. I'm scared of the biodiversity loss much more. I'm scared of seeing what happens to our soils much more than the other thing, which is, I must say, for most of the consumers, the driving force. Nothing wrong to be uh, cautious and to be uh, sensible or even uh, uh, taking measures because of the pesticide issue. It is serious. There is poison in our food, no doubt, but it should not be the only reason. And it's, it's, it's fragile because if we have a scandal and we had pesticide scandal, residue scandals, maybe through thrift or, or maybe also fraud, then we lose the consumer because he lost confidence in what he was looking for. I have a little anecdote. When I got my training, I was first on an extremely conventional farm producing baby food. I must say today, miss my knowledge, in a criminal way, including the pesticide issues, uh, nitrate issues, spinach for babies, was criminal. I ran away from that farm and I went to a biodynamic farm in the 70s. And they had a very good direct marketing already in that time. And they made a special milk, a high quality milk, untreated, completely untreated milk you could get there. So many people came from far away. Sometimes they drove for two liters of milk, 20 kilometers, not very ecological. Uh, the milk was dynamic and they made But he, he provoked his, his customers and he said, hey, don't you think I'm an organic farmer that you get healthy to heaven? That is not my motivation. It's, it's fine if you get healthy to heaven and you may get healthy to heaven if you buy my food. But I have, a, first of all, a very selfish reason. I don't want to be in the middle of the spray drift. You get uh, per mill or per billion parts of poison maybe in your food. I would be in the spray drift in the middle of it. And he knew about 
pharma and cancer rates, etc. And he gave that story. So that shows us something. So yes, let's be alerted and let's use the pesticide issue. But uh, there is much more to be told and much more to be shared with consumers that they get the full understanding. And this is important for the Real Organic Project. You must tell the bad things happening because once the, the people learn that they get cheated, and as you uh, argue it and, and, and present it well, you threaten the whole integrity of the organic movement. And not only the US. If that gets out, like you had your Washington Post article, if you would have in one of our major newspapers an article like this, your market would be ruined. It would take one Spiegel article or one in our magazines. And it, uh, luckily, so far, nobody has picked it up. Let's fix it before. Yes, well, let's fix it. Uh, you know, the Washington Post probably did six or eight articles. Yes, a whole series, yeah. It was yeah. a whole series, and it didn't destroy organic at all. It, it created a genuine concern, and it, especially within the organic movement, where people were going, what's going on? And, and so I'm grateful to Peter Wariski for writing those, those stories and telling the truth. Even in Congress, there was a, a pushback and they, they voted millions of dollars to address some of the, like the grain fraud yeah. issue. They haven't spent that money very well yet. Not. So we're waiting to see them actually do something. But, but, you know, it, it created some awareness and some ability to, some motivation to act. Okay, so let's let's go to Asia because that's that's so important. I, when I talked with Vandana, she said that she uh, was being challenged in India at one point as a foreign agent because she was having seminars about organic. Were you part of that, man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm part of the gang. Yeah, no, I uh, I work very closely with Vandana and. Uh, I've been various times on her farm, and uh, of course, she is she's dangerous. She's a dangerous woman for the establishment. She's yes, a dangerous she woman, is. probably the most hated woman by formerly Monsanto, now by Monsanto, uh, uh, because she is so brilliant, so smart, so full of facts, and uh, so powerful in her communication, in her charisma, but also in her writings, that, uh, uh, well, they have to fight her like hell. But uh, many, many people follow her. She has her admirers and, and the movement uh, benefits a lot from her tireless work. And, uh, and she has achieved a lot. She has helped to achieve a lot. Uh, while we fight here for a paradigm shift in agriculture, we want changes, we want improvements, uh, they do what we really need. We need a revolution. We need a agrarian revolution. And I mean a consequent one with the ultimate goal, which she formulated, by the way, a few years ago, a vision of 100% organic. With a very strategic, important step, which is 100% pesticide free, because we may achieve this first and faster and can build on that to make the world organic. And it can be done. And we, you said, let's go to Asia. We go to India. We uh, have done our very best to publicize and promote worldwide the fact that one Indian federal state, a small one in the Himalaya region, Sikkim, has been completely converted to 100% organic. The whole state, 75,000 farmers, in a 10-year program, have converted to organic farmers. And here, that's a good case to connect to what we discussed. They are not just 
cutting out pesticides or mineral fertilizer. They have not used much of it anyway. Mineral fertilizer, yes, because it was subsidized and they had to use it kind of, was given to them. Uh, but they had farmer field schools, trainings, uh, model farms, model villages, and enormous education program around to bring the farmers uh, the knowledge and, 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 and use also their already still existing knowledge. Uh, and I have seen probably the most happiest farmers, small farmers with two acres, three acres, making a, a decent income for the family. I saw young people going back from the cities to the farms of the parents because they saw that you can make a livelihood and you can have enough income and you can have a good life. In, in the countryside, living in the countryside. So, and this Sikkim has set the stage that there is indeed an agricultural revolution happening in India. In the home state of Vandana, in, uh, um, in, uh, uh, in Udakarand, in Dehradun, where she lives, that state has also made the decision is on its way to become a 100% organic state. Now, we are not talking anymore about 70,000 farmers, we are talking about 1.8 million farmers and their families. And they all go with po political support, that is important. In Sikkim, it was an extremely visionary chief minister who was re-elected five times because he was just the politician the world deserves and needs. And uh, so, and now other states follow, uh, especially in the Himalaya region. As a matter of fact, we work on a program with the World Future Council and uh, we get now support from the German uh, Ministry of Development uh, for a whole region in the world, the Himalaya region, to go organic. Yes. And if we yes. do it there, we can do it in the Alps, we can do it in, 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 uh, in, uh, in Latin America. Uh, uh, we could do it uh, as a start in, 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 in the mountain regions that we go there 100% organic because... Yeah. So, so tell me... It, it, it sounds like a comic book. A whole state is going 100% organic. Could you tell me how that happens? Because I, I look, I've thought about it. I live in a very progressive state in Vermont, in America. Oh, I, Bernie Sanders, I, yeah, Patrick yeah, Leahy. Yeah. You know, we're special. We are. We have the highest uh, percentage of organic farmers of any state in the country. Nonetheless, to say, let's take Vermont 100% organic would be uh, a very huge lift. So how do you do that? And, and I asked Vonda, I said, Vonda, I want to learn about this. She said, talk to Bernbart. Okay, here yeah, we no, are. I, I, I how did that of, happen? I spent a lot of thinking, how can we take the lessons learned from Seekim? It's not a blueprint we can uh, copy one-to-one, -one, cut and paste. It wouldn't work because the situation is very different. I mean, your farm, also you are not a big landowner, is so different from, uh, let's say, a farm in, 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 in Sikkim. But the, the major elements that made this pos uh, success possible, um, you find everywhere in the world. And I will, uh, time allows, I give a few examples that this is not only happening in Sikkim, it's here too. So indeed, Vermont, uh, if you take Rhode Island, it's even a smaller state, <laughs> it would be an easier task. But let's take Vermont because you're so progressive. You have open-minded people, you have the right politicians, um, uh, Senator Leahy, uh, Bernie Sanders, I mean, you you would be the place to start. I mean, California is a long way down the road. Uh, yes, we would need is. a couple of other revolutions as well uh, to convert it. But nevertheless, we should have the goal and the vision and the courage to do so. 
uh, and for that, yes, one is it needs the political, not only the political will, it needs the political support and it needs the political measurements. This also brings us to Denmark, which is more comparable for you. That's what's happening there. All nine parties, except the fascists, have been all over the years and for decades absolutely supportive of organic farming and put the right regulations, uh, made a state control system everybody trusts, made a fantastic uh, system for gastronomy and the restaurants and public procurement. And so in terms of learning uh, what we can directly take, we can learn probably much more from Denmark than from Sikkim. But nevertheless, in Sikkim, the farmers understood. The farmers are still farmers. They're connected to the ground. They know what is at stake. They did not like to use chemicals if they had access to it or were supposed to use it. Uh, they helped to create the markets, yes? And they, they made one thing parallel, uh, which uh, was really revolutionary. They knew if we, uh, all our farmers are organic and we still have import of cheap conventional food, which they had and they need because they have so much tourism and for such a small place, so many tourists come. The highest mountain of India is in, in Sikkim. Uh, one of the Himalaya mountains. Uh, uh, if we allow this conventional cheap food in, it will be an unfair competition for our farmers. Our farmers will not get the price they need. So they banned the import of chemical food. Now this, oh, this is okay in this little uh, uh, puppet kingdom, former kingdom, little state in India, maybe that's possible. You know that in Switzerland, the people right now have placed a referendum and Swiss has this radical grassroots basic democratic system that people can write and implement laws. They can make a referendum and then the text of the referendum becomes law. And uh, the world has not really noticed uh, fully, and certainly not the US, that there is right now a referendum to be voted on in June, which calls for a complete ban of pesticides. Imagine the home country of Sandoz, of some of the chemical companies, is if, if it gets voted, a complete, it's actually two laws. One is a water protection law that says not a penny spent on farms if it's not for ecological. No more subsidies to farms. If there is money supporting farms, it has to be for ecological performances and improvements. And the second one is ban on this. And they did the very same in this law. Maybe that's why it's killed, because it's so much interest against them, and lobby power against them, can't be imagined. They also said, N, if this law is in place and we ban pesticides, no food will be allowed into the country. And they talk about fruit and vegetables mostly. That is uh, uh, conventional and has chemical residues. I mean, try imagine in June what happens, what message to the world this is, if that happens. So it's not just crazy people that got out of their mind and smoked maybe a little bit too much. To think about this, it's happening. Uh, I stay in Europe just to get it a bit closer to our cultures and to our realities. Uh, we have already regions, it's again mountain regions, because they're easier to convert. Graubünden is a, a canton, a federal state of Switzerland, that is over 60% organic. Austria as a country with a lot of farming going on and also uh, arable farming, not just the beautiful Heidi farms in the mountains, uh, they, they are approaching 30% organic on national level. And the, the federal state of Burgenland, which is at the Hungarian border. It's highly chemical using because they grow a lot of wine and uh, grapes, and this is heavily sprayed. So there is heavy chemical use, not like in Sikkim. The governor 
has set up, has invited scientists, has formed groups, has put in, in motion an action plan to make Burgenland 100% organic. So it's happening here. I just learned from Bob, Bob uh, Quinn, by the way, he has been in Mongolia. Mongolia goes 100%. In other Indian states, we, we, we were in, in India, they go. In India, I would reckon at the moment, maybe 10, maybe 20 million farmers convert to organic. It took us 50 years to get 2 million certified organic farmers in the world. And now we look at India, where in the course of a few years, by the 10 of millions, farmers will be organic farmers. So, uh, you know how I said we're not having a debate, we're having a fight. And, uh, you know, in America, uh, I just talked to um, uh, Chuck Benbrook, and he talked about mm -hmm. how much worse the use of, of herbicides is getting in the last five years, just yep. catastrophic. And, uh, you know, he's been very involved in the lawsuits against Bayer Monsanto, yep. and which they've been winning. And, but he said at the same time, the use of these things of Roundup and, and, and you know, many, many more is exploding. Um, so, I feel like, yeah, there are sides being drawn and, and there's a battle going on for the heart and soul of how we eat. How, how is our food going to be grown? You know, what is, what is the signature on our land going to be? The price tag, I'm, the real price tag. We, the real we, price we tag. We need to talk about true cost accounting and uh, we start to realize this. If we implement even conservatively true cost accounting, we have already evidence and we have done some calculations here also with the Fibble Institute and Seekim in Egypt that already today organic food would be for the consumer and on the market the cheaper food. If the conventional food would really calculate in the price the pollution, the health issues, that uh, destroying the land uh, and all these costs uh, and you cannot calculate all the costs. I mean what do you calculate a butterfly, a butterfly uh, uh, species disappearing because of farming, which we, which happens. You, you cannot even monetize it, but you can monetize a lot. And uh, this has to cut parallel because this 100% organic vision needs a few uh, uh, pre-requirements. And one would be that we really engage in true cost accounting, which is a big, big issue here now. We really debate it politically. The big, even the big companies know it's coming. It has to come. CO2, we have to, to to put the CO2 price in, in the products and so on. So it seems to me that there are two layers of true cost accounting. And one is the, the, the actual costs in, in money right now. So like healthcare, yeah. you know, yeah. people are going to pay for that healthcare yeah. one way or the other, right? So that's actual cash out. And the other is, mm, the actual cost to our children and our grandchildren, and that would be climate change, which very quickly is becoming the cost of, of this generation. But for sure, that bill will come due in 20 years, in 30 years. Yeah. But even yeah. if we look at just the, the cash out, say, okay, you don't have to spend it on food, but you have to spend it on the doctor, then even so, right there, you look at that and the organic is cheaper. Yes. Uh it's the same for water. Water is polluted. A lot of water wells couldn't be used. So they have high costs to get either pesticides out or blend it with, with 
clean water to get below the residue level, it's a big issue. Somebody pays for it. We pay on the water bill. And I may promote a book because it's not available in English, so it's no self-promotion. I've published a book uh, with Volker Engelsmann, one of our great uh, minds and uh, organic trader, uh, on the true cost accounting. And we, we call it, uh, uh, the prices are lying. Uh, why cheap food costs us so much, is the subtitle. And this says it all. If yes. consumers would get on the, uh, on the receipt at the supermarket the cashier, the real costs calculated, they would immediately realize what wrong. They would go for organic because we, we in a way do true cost accounting to some extent. Not at all. And it's not all uh, only green and rosy. But we do it. As a matter of fact, this big supermarket chain I've mentioned, they have a discount branch as well. And they picked up the issue, not the organic stores. The organic stores said, wait a minute, how come they do it? We should do it. They picked up and they made open a new supermarket, a very environmentally well-developed designed supermarket. And they raised the issue and they got a professor doing calculations for the foods and they put the real price. They didn't charge it, but they put the real price on the shelf. What a message. That is education. That is consumer education. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. Well, Bernard, I feel like probably we'll have to have a second conversation. Anytime. Um, <laughs> I love it. Enjoy it. But before we go, are there any last words that you would like to say? Yeah, uh, a couple of last words. Um, it's fine. Family waits. We still have a holiday here. We have a coffee. Martha and Laura is here. She has baked a beautiful cake. Anyway, but uh, yes, uh, to wrap it up maybe for the moment, uh, I would like to appeal. I would like to appeal. Look across your fence. Get the good news that is out in the world. It's so frustrating. Our fight, you say, we have is so energy, negative energy cons, uh, consuming. Not from us. It's forced on us, this negative energy. And we have to respond to it. But it takes energy. And But if we look across the fence, there's so much happening outside. So many indicators. So many things that are becoming real in the organic way. The market development. Um, we mentioned quite a few things in our conversation now. So uh, let's take this and, and, and get this energy because the fight uh, you mentioned, of course, it's a, a fight of David against Goliath. We are small. We don't have the resources. We don't have money. We don't have the media power, the control, the brainwashing power of people. But I, I'm not a religious person, but I know enough of the Bible. I went to a Catholic school. I know who was winning. And the GMO, the GMO fight has shown in our place, GMO is out for decades and there will be never a place for GMO here. And that shows how the power we have if we pick it up. And I, another appeal is let's be ambitious. Let's be visionary. Let's get back. We, had, we have very revolutionary roots. I mean, our pioneers, our forefathers in the movement, they have been outcasts. They have been called everything you can imagine. Uh, that spirit we need to uh, conserve a little bit and, and maybe regenerate this revolution spirit because we need an agrarian revolution to make the turnaround. It's time, biodiversity, loss, climate, everything, the tipping points. It's not a question whether we want it. It's just a question, how do we do it? How do we do it? By sh uh, shaping coalitions, uniting the movement, 
uniting and liaising with unions, with consumers foremost, with the gastronomic sector, with all the people that have a stake in food, which is actually everybody. We all have a stake in food. Uh, if you don't eat, we know what happens. And if you don't drink. Uh, so let's, let's form big coalitions. I'm a passionate networker. We have to be international in our world. Uh, it's not enough to, to just uh, think globally and act locally. We cannot act locally if we don't think, but we cannot just think globally and don't act because the other forces act globally. So we have to act globally as well. So we have to, this famous saying, we have to give it a new dimension. It's too narrow the way we, we use it and we, like, we seem to like it. So let's think and act globally and locally. Uh, of course, we make the world a better one on our fields and our uh, plates and uh, tables uh, when we dine. Uh, but let's be ambitious. Let's be ambitious. And just one final anecdote uh, why we uh, are not ambitious enough. In Germany, Germany, uh, we have started with a green minister. We had 20% organic in Germany, which is a lot. I mean, imagine in your country, your percentage is what? one or two percent, tenfold more uh, organic farming in your country. That is the goal she said and nobody put a timeline. Now we have a timeline, 20, 30, 20 percent organic. The movement in Europe, the famous EU group you mentioned, picked it up and went to the EU lobbying for a 20 percent goal. Now the bureaucrats have come out with a new strategic uh, paper in the context of the overall European Green Deal, which is called From uh, uh, Farm to uh, Fork from the field to the consumer. They have asked for 25% organic by 2030. So we do something wrong in the organic movement if we think, oh, we are already crazy enough to think of a dream of a 20% goal in 10 years time. And the bureaucrats in Brussels come and say, but we want 25%. We have in Bavaria, we have in countries here in federal states, they have 30 and 30% goals. The states, Burgenland has a 100% goal in Austria. So let's be at least as ambitious as the bureaucrats and go for all, go for 100% organic. And my experience, hopefully you can feel it in the way I'm enthused, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to go for this big, big goal and to make this dream happen. Maybe not us, maybe the next generation. Um, maybe we don't get the timeline Vandana puts us, she said 2050, all organic, because of the tipping points in biodiversity and climate. Now we have to be much faster. I agree with her, we have to be faster. I don't think we make it 2030, but we are going to make it. And one thing is for sure, we cannot compromise the way your law is bended. If we go 100% organic, it has to be real organic. <laughs> Bernard, thank you very much for spending this time. I know it's your a pleasure. busy family time for you. So thank you. This was really a great pleasure. I look forward. I hope some of you will come to the Organic World Congress. I hope we can hold it in September. Then we will debate these issues. And uh, uh, again, I don't have to promote myself. Uh, I'm not speaking to many potential voters, but I'm running for the iPhone World Board. And one of the major driving forces is because I understood from the lessons and from what I learned in your struggle that we need to defend our integrity to grow the way we want to grow all the way. And for that, we are partners in the struggle. And uh, I will do my very best to support you wherever I can. And I you, Bernard, thank you very much. My greetings to all and good luck.
Thank you for listening to the Real Organic Podcast. We hope that you will subscribe, tell your friends, and leave us a rating and review. A video version of this interview, as well as the full transcript with links related to our conversation, is found at realorganicproject.org forward slash episode 66. Please join us next time when our guest is Anna Crabtree of Velikas Farms, a biodiverse grain growing operation in extreme northern Montana. To support this podcast and our certified farmers, become a recurring donor at realorganicproject.org. See you next time. Thank you.